It's an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the laws are complicated and constantly changing, the wisest and safest way to keep track of them all is to call elder law attorney Michael Cohen. Having devoted his career to informing and protecting the elderly, Michael communicates about the law in ways that you and your loved ones will surely understand. Join us now to know your legal rights with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here's Michael and Don. Once again, we welcome you to another Estate Planning Essentials program, and this is a program aggressively, assertively efforting to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I'm virtually sitting with Dallas Elder Law Attorney Michael D. Cohen. Hello, Michael. Well, my middle initial is B, is in beautiful, but what is <laughs> this that you're about to say that is a different middle initial? The D from Michael D. Cohen is do-it-yourself, that wonderful and ominous cliche that's been around forever, and that's basically the theme of our program today. I, when I say virtually, Michael and I are on the telephone. We can't meet in person because of COVID still being around. Uh, it's almost 12 months now, Michael. It's been almost a whole year. My goodness. Hopefully, this thing is going to abate soon. Yeah, I hope so, too. But, you know, when you say DIY, sometimes from a legal standpoint, I think that's D-U-M-B. <laughs> well, good. Well, we got two good acronyms then that apply to this program today. And Michael has a story. He has a client he wants to talk about where someone um, irresponsibly and recklessly decided to do it themselves, and it created a lot of problems. Michael, yeah, just kind of just kind of give you an illustration. Even with somebody that has limited resources, that sometimes it's best um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right. And so I thought that this would be kind of an illustration of a lot of different things that could go wrong and how do you fix it. And okay. So th this is a case in which there was, let's just say, call it husband and wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, husband and wife really just had uh, some, um, let's say, some joint accounts or whatever, but mostly they had a home together. Were they in Texas, this, this husband yeah, and wife? They, uh, yeah, Richardson. Uh, Richardson, okay. Uh-huh, yeah. And so... In this case, they got divorced. Husband and wife got divorced. And the divorce decree said um, that the wife should get the house. Now, it's not unusual that family law attorneys don't do a deed transferring the property the way the divorce decree happens. Usually a, when you have um, a divorce, uh, title companies do searches, and so they'll even look at uh, family law records to see the divorce decrees because it's kind of common. And I'm not a don't own a title company, but I hear from people who do. Mm -hmm. that it's kind of common that the family law attorneys don't follow through and do a deed like you really should do. So mm -hmm. the divorce decree says this property belongs to somebody, then they ought to do it to transfer real estate. Really, you should do a deed from the person who's supposed to transfer to the one who's supposed to receive them the asset. However, uh, a divorce decree, usually they'll look at the public re the deed records, uh, or, the, or it should be filed in the deed records, actually, but mostly they'll look at the family law records and see if there was a divorce decree. Okay. Well, 
anyway, in this case, they nobody followed through and did a deed. Um, so husband never deeded the property to his wife. And in fact, and the husband didn't have any other estate planning documents and didn't have a power of attorney or anything else. Well, this is not a case in which the husband died, but a problem where the husband lived. Because in this case, he did a quit claim deed to his children. Now, children are adults, but he did a quit claim deed. Well, that's a problem in and of itself because most title companies usually do not like quit claim deeds because they don't want to insure. It, a quick claim deed is a deed where it says, I just give you whatever I have. I'm not guaranteeing you I have anything. So mm-hmm. if you're a title company, you don't want to ensure uh, that you that somebody uh, that, that without any kind of warranties. Right. So, But on the other hand, it's a cloud on the title to the property because the deed is recorded in the deed records, whereas the divorce decree was never recorded in the deed records. And so now you have a cloud on title. But we got one more problem. After dad, or husband, deeded the property to his children, he had a stroke. Now he needs long-term care. He didn't have. He has very limited resources. So um, if you, how do you, how do you undo things? Uh, if you have uh, don't have a power of attorney, well, usually you have to seek guardianship. Well, mm. guardianship's real expensive. You have an attorney representing you, an uh, attorney maybe representing one of the kids, and if there was a dispute between the kids, there could be even three attorneys involved. And then after you've gotten the approval of the court to have who's in charge of the estate, like the real estate uh, in this case, then you have to get a court approval to transfer the asset. Of course, there's always been a divorce decree that says that, so there shouldn't be any kind of problem with that, but then you just have to go through the expense and the time, and he needs to be on Medicaid immediately. Hmm. He, he doesn't have. He has very limited resources, and uh, Medicaid, if you make a transfer within five years, they presume you did it on purpose to get eligibility for Medicaid. So now when he did that quick claim deed, even if most title companies don't like him, it creates a transfer penalty. So he doesn't have any assets. He, If he would have just had the divorce decree and had followed the court's order, there would have been no problem because Medicaid says, oh, it's a court order. We will recognize court orders. Hmm. But because – and so if he had – if the property – if the kids had deeded the property back to him, well, then you could have had guardianship. But then they couldn't or, – or if you had a power of attorney, if you had a power of attorney that said I could deed property, then he could have just simply – we could have deeded the – kids could deed the property back to him and then transfer it back to the wife, and everything would be fine. But he didn't have a power of attorney. Mm. <laughs> okay. Goodness. Lot, so now you see – okay, so now here are the different issues uh, you have to consider. Somebody – did a deed on by themselves, and it was the wrong type of deed to begin with, and mm-hmm. you didn't follow a court order. So when you do it yourself, that's not really good. You didn't comply with the court order, and it also created a problem for Medicaid, and we could have undone things if he had simply had a financial power of attorney. But he I didn't see. have a fi- Yeah, he didn't when, even have a financial power of attorney. <laughs> so when you say quick claim deed, he did that and he shouldn't have. What should right. he have done um, so, instead of the quick claim deed? He should have done by what the court said. Oh, okay. He, he should have deeded it to his wife. The okay. court order says the property goes to your wife. He decided to deed it to his children, and mm-hmm. not only did he 
not comply with the court order, but now all of a sudden he creates years of ineligibility for Medicaid, which costs mm. thousands of dollars a month oh. because he, the, the Medicaid is a five-year look-back period, and if you make a deed, you transferred assets without consideration. It's presumed that you did it on purpose to reduce right. your assets to get eligible right. for Medicaid. Right. So now, I mean, you've been telling us that for five years now, where yeah. it's the sins of our predecessors, basically, and the government doesn't necessarily trust us. And uh, if they don't or they do, they still need to verify the history. And many times that comes back to haunt people. And this is a perfect example of that. Yeah, because they say, you know, Medicaid's means tested. In other words, they look at your assets, at what you mm-hmm. have. So mm-hmm. if you reduce your assets... Uh, they think you did it on purpose so that yeah. they would help pay the difference in the cost of care. So you right. basically, if the cost of the nursing home is 6500 and your Social Security is $1,500, you will be basically saving $5,000 a month. Right. So if, you had, if you had guardian, so now here in, for Medicaid, you have to have less than a couple thousand dollars. So let's say he got down to less than a couple thousand dollars, and let's say that the uh, his interest in the property was only, let's say, 60000 or so. Uh, it would have created close to a year of ineligibility. Well, who's going to pay for that cost of care when he doesn't have any money? <laughs> because he made this deed, which he didn't. Where we did the deed, which was not in compliance with the court order, but also presumed to be done on purpose for eligibility for Medicaid purposes, so the government would help pay for care costs. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, oh, the mighty we we weave, or you know, whether the web that we weave, you know, it's uh, he. Uh, they really create a lot of problems. They didn't think, oh, just because um, I'm sixty something years old, I'm not going to have a stroke. No, some things happen. You know, there are pandemics, there's ice storms, bad things happen in life. Mm, and, sure so, and, and so, uh, <laughs> so it's unfortunately uh, the failure to plan and doing things where you didn't know what you were doing, really creates a big problem because now not only is he out of compliance with the court order, but and not only does it, it creates a cloud on title, but it also created a period of ineligibility for Medicaid because it's presumed that he did it on purpose to get mm. reduce his assets to get eligibility for the government to help pay for his care costs because now he has to be in a nursing home. Wow, what a mess. Well, you know, we've talked about um, those online sites. They don't really do the job because they're not tailored necessarily or current when it comes to state law, local laws, et cetera, especially in Texas. And then, of course, whatever the reasons are where you do it yourself, uh, it's even worse because maybe you don't even rely on those websites to guide you so you make fewer mistakes. But goodness gracious, this person has really created a number of problems for himself and his family. And now, of course, um, the worst uh, or the second worst imaginable thing that could happen is that he had a stroke and now he's got these issues as well. And this is why Michael has his workshops. This is why they're free. This is why you can attend them online. You don't even have to show up in person because Michael wants to provide you from the kindness and goodness of his heart this information to educate you, and as Michael says, every program to allow you to ask a question and tell you what you need to know when it comes to the laws for the state of Texas, when it comes to government assistance or estate planning. And the next workshop to that end is Tuesday, March the 2nd at 1 p.m. And Michael, tell everyone about those workshops and what goes on. Well, we ask people what they want to know. And they, they ask their questions. And actually, I believe 
that this may have been a question at one of the workshops. Is that right? <laughs> and so, uh, and so, they, a lot of times people say, "This is what my story is. What can we do to, you know, fix our problem?" Or here's the thing I just don't know about. Is it something about wills? Is it something about trust? Is it something about powers of attorney? Is it something about Medicaid? Is it something about veterans benefits? Is it something about tax law? With the is there something that's going to be done uh, with the Biden administration? We don't know uh, what the questions will be. Uh, they vary from time to time. And every, every workshop, the questions are different. So each workshop is different. And uh, basically, we try to just answer and educate people on the things that they want to know about their own situation uh, so that they could help plan so they don't have the mistakes uh, that others may have made or maybe uh, they could learn from the mistakes of others or perhaps that they're proactive and just so that they could avoid mistakes uh, uh, by doing some simple planning. What so happens after, Michael, the workshop? Um, they attend that for two hours for free online via Zoom. And then after that workshop, what's next? Well, then for those people who attend the free workshop, we actually even give them the ability to have another one-on-one -on -one meeting mm. free for another hour. So we can look at your own situation and see how to examine uh, what happened and see what solutions there could be or what options you might have uh, by, you know, by just looking at the facts and seeing what the goals are. And right. to, to, so you get basically get three, three hours of, uh, you know, legal education without any kind of charge. Is that uh, second vision meeting? Is that also via Zoom? Yes. Well, we okay. give people the option. They could either be by Zoom or it could be, uh, at our office. So it's just, we have, you know, we're socially distanced and have masks and things like that to get inside the building. Uh, so we give people the option, whichever way they prefer. So uh, it's, it's whatever that they people feel comfortable with. Uh, so, but we still need to be uh, responsible, you know, the building, you need to have a mask when you come in. And, and so, but basically we uh, give people the option to do whichever way makes them feel comfortable. If you want to attend the free estate planning essentials workshop, uh, then all you have to do uh, is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102 or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. And then you can, you know, like I said, you could get you know, not only to have that two hours of, you know, free legal education by Zoom, but also you could have a free one-hour uh, vision meeting to kind of look at your own situation even in more detail, although you could ask the questions at the workshop, and we try to address them then, but sometimes we get more deeply um, uh, committed to uh, a little bit more of a solution, perhaps uh, in an individual meeting to go over things in more detail. Very good. So, well, um, this Richardson family story is a disturbing one, and uh, I'm sure they meant well, uh, but they've created a major mess, and you believe you have found a way to untangle them and get them out of it, and what, what's that yeah. all about? Yeah, you see, normally, if, if they had had a power of attorney, when you, give, when you transfer property out, then if you give it back, that undoes the penalty, but since there was no power of attorney, uh, and we don't really want to seek guardianship because they really had limited funds. Mm -hmm. We really don't want to, and, and plus the delay of courts, we wanted to try to see if there's a simpler, cheaper uh, way to do things. So first mm -hmm. thing we did was we had a title commitment. 
So I actually called a title company to see what they would show on their on their with the with their search because I was hoping that the uh, the fact that the search of the uh, family code records family not code family court records that you can see the divorce decree and maybe with that commitment that that would be sufficient for the government. The problem was they did see that, but they said because of the quit claim deed, the deed from the husband to children, mm-hmm. that that created a cloud on title, which would have to be undone. Mm-hmm. Now, to do that, that means we might, we didn't really want to do a deed back to the uh, the husband because, he, you know, we really didn't want to have to go through guardianship. Uh, due to time and expense and uh, delay. So what we did first is see what the title company would need. So the first thing the title company would need would be to get that court order in the deed records of the county. So that would be Dallas County. So we get a certified copy of the court order and put that in the deed records. Now, the second thing we would need to do would be to deed the property to the wife from the three children. Now, luckily, all three children would agree on this, and they're all born in the same marriage. So it wasn't an issue. They all agree, so that's a comfortable thing. But then you say, well, what about the look-back period for Medicaid? How are we going to get around that? So, first of all, in the deed, since, remember, title companies don't want, like uh, quit-claim deeds. See, mm-hmm. what happens when, the, you know, like you said, a lot of times people do it yourself, and they hear around the country, or like these, these forums online or whatever, they hear the term quitclaim deed. And in a lot of states, quitclaim deeds are used uh, much more frequently than they are in Texas. Texas title companies don't like them because there's no warranty. But so here, the title company would say, well, we, there's different types of deeds. There's like uh, special warranty deeds, general warranty deeds. Usually like when you buy a house, you get a general warranty deed. Well, a general warranty deed means it's good from the beginning of time, basically. And so title companies feel really good about that. But they will also accept a special warranty deed. A hmm. special warranty deed is a warranty, but it only comes from the person that you got it from. In this case, kids should feel comfortable that it came from dad when they bought the property. It was a general warranty deed. Uh, so it shouldn't be an issue. So you do a special warranty deed from uh, from children back to mom. However, we need to do more than that because we still have the Medicaid issue, uh, the five-year look-back period for Medicaid. So how are we going to make them feel more comfortable? Although we've gotten the cloud on title removed by getting the certified copy of the divorce decree in the deed records and by getting a special warranty deed from the children back to a mom, their mom, the wife, the way it was supposed to be under the court order. But in the deed, we're going to have to do something kind of unique. We're going to have to say something so that Medicaid feels comfortable. Basically like a correction deed. It's saying this was deeded to us by error or mistake. It should have been done to mom. And this is according to the divorce decree. So you mention all that stuff in a deed, which you would not normally do. Now, the other thing is the, uh, you know, the... State, when they do from when they look at things for Medicaid, they look at the deed records. So they're going to have to see they'll see that deed, the quit claim deed. So we will be telling them about the quit claim deed, and then 
we'll have to show what happened. We tell them the mistake, and I think that they'll get around, they'll accept it. There's no guarantee that they will, but I think that they will because that's the way it was supposed to be. And, mm-hmm. the, and in the deed, it'll say this was a mistake. Correct. It was done by this, and so we're just trying to get it to the rightful owner by the divorce decree. And remember, the state complies with things that are by court order. And then uh, we would need to show that the title was in the name of uh, the wife. Uh, we, it's up to the wife to determine if she wants to have a title policy saying, yeah, it's all mine, if she wants to uh, do that. And that could also show that the title company accepted that. Uh, and so then that should give uh, the state some more comfort, as well as the deed records reflecting it's all that of wife. So it's it's not there's no guarantee that Medicaid will accept that, but I think mm-hmm. that they will. But you see, when you don't have a financial power of attorney, a simple document, you know, I, that everybody probably should have if they have, even if they, maybe even if they don't don't have any mm-hmm. assets. I had my two daughters when they turned 18. Um, I had them do the basic estate planning documents, including a power of attorney, even if they had no assets. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people need to sign contracts, or maybe they sometimes they need to uh, transfer something. Let's say a life insurance policy. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, somebody had a life insurance policy that nobody knew about, and they didn't have a alternate beneficiary. Uh, I believe we talked about that on a show a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. So if if they'd known about that and the person was still alive, they could have or transferred. Let's say they're disabled, they could have transferred the property, uh, the life insurance policy from husband to wife if they wanted to. Uh, or you, let's say somebody has an IRA. You know, you, just because you have an IRA and you're married doesn't mean your spouse has automatic access to your IRA. You have to have authority to be able to get to that money. So. How are you going to do that? Well, that's the financial power of attorney. So in this case, he didn't have the, one of the most basic documents, a financial power of attorney, that I even had my 18-year-olds. I had my 18-year-olds sign a will, a financial power of attorney, a medical power of attorney, a living will, a HIPAA, the ability to have access to medical records, the basic documents that I think that most people should at least have, even if they have limited resources. <clears throat> in this case, even if he would have, had a, a, well, I don't know if they would have had a simple form because remember the power of attorney, there has to be certain things in there, like in this case, it should have had dealing with real estate transactions. Most powers of attorney have that. Now, for Medicaid, you usually want to have a lot of extra stuff in there. Sometimes it's self dealing, sometimes uh, because we might have to transfer from the husband to wife for some reason, assets because of. And the husband may have lost mental capacity or vice versa. Uh, so the depending on who was the one that needed care, a lot of times you'll have special provisions uh, in there with public benefits planning because public benefits is means tested. So we have to think about different things. They require that all the assets from the ill spouse be transferred to the well spouse within one year. So how are you going to do that if the person lost mental capacity and you don't want to go to court to seek uh, guardianship or even have a what's called a community administration. You could have a, just a simple document, a power of attorney, and it would have been fine if the t- power of attorney gave the ability to do these different things that we often have to do for public benefits, whether it's creation of different types of trust 
or whether it's transfer planning or whatever it is that's required by the law to get accomplished the goals, whatever it is, whether it's Medicaid or it could be tax issues. It could be any number of different things, but you have to think about things beyond the statutory language uh, because sometimes bad things happen. And, and that's the whole point of, of this program, every program, mm-hmm. and that is that people don't think it's going to happen to them. Uh, whether it's, you know, we started the program with Michael D. Cohen, do it yourself, but it's also you don't think about becoming disabled. And you don't think about dying necessarily, or at least to the degree that you should. And that's that's the whole point of Michael's program today, to make certain that you're prepared for those problems. And no matter how small or how large your estate, Michael's saying, almost like a will, you need a power of attorney to help make decisions for you if you're incapacitated. And that's the whole point. And this is why you need to attend his next workshop, which is Tuesday, March the 2nd at 1 o'clock. It's a virtual workshop, so it's online. You never have to leave the comforts of your home, your living room. You just zoom in, a couple clicks, and you're there for the workshop, and you get to ask questions. And um, you can find out if your situation is in any way similar or ask more about that power of attorney, which in many ways is an integral part of every plan, almost entirely uh, for all people, it sounds like. And I could be wrong about that, but in this case, it also helps, Michael, based on what you said for the first 25 minutes, is that uh, it certainly is a benefit when the kids are willing and amenable to deed it back to the wife, because if they didn't, I could imagine it would be very problematic. Yeah, it could have been, because then it would have been very expensive. You'd basically have to go back to court, and they didn't have any funds. So yeah. how do you do that when you don't have funds and you have uh, several different attorneys involved, um, not to mention the court? So it's just, you know, again, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right, which is great. That's a great way to finish the program. Thank you for that, Michael. Sign up for Michael's next workshop. Dial 214-720-0102, or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com. Michael Cohen, thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. A leading estate planner practicing law in Dallas, Texas for decades now, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the estate planning laws that can affect your family and you. The first step is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com to sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214 720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on 770 KAAM for six years, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate and complete what could currently be a deficient estate plan. Make sure it is done your way and sign up for his next workshop today 